welcome. We're in a brand new series, as you probably heard. Um, we're in the book of Daniel, so I'm going to invite you to open your Bible to the book of Daniel. And if you don't know how to get there, there's some Bibles in front of you, and it's on page 737. Or you can ask a friend to steer you that direction, the book of Daniel. Um, <clears throat> and I look forward, as Harry mentioned, to this series that we're entitling, Work is Worship. And really the heart is, how, how do we perceive who we are and what we're engaged in, whether we're a stay-at-home parent or we're a CEO or we're a full-time student or we're in the military, wherever we find our place of work, um, how do we perceive it as an act of worship? Because um, the scripture, I think, is going to compel us that direction so that we might rethink who we are and what we're doing throughout the week and understand that all of our life really is an act of worship. And work is certainly a very important piece of my personal worship. You might ask the question, so what does Daniel, especially Daniel 1 through 6, have to say or do with work, with the subject of work and work as worship? And I'm appreciating that you're asking those questions and thinking about the connections already. There are some major themes in these first six chapters uh, like this. How do you maintain integrity in a hostile environment to your faith? How do you deal wisely with unrealistic work expectations? Not that you've ever had any of those. How do you handle promotions at work or discern who you actually work for or respond in a godly way when you get fired? How do you say hard things to your boss or overcome office intrigues? And how do you recover from workplace disappointments and setbacks? All of those are modeled, actually, in Daniel 1 through 6 by four young men who, when they first were taken from their homes, were probably right around 16 years old. I'm speaking, of course, of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You might know them by different names because when they were taken to Babylon, they were given by the Babylonians different names, and we'll talk about that in a moment. But for those guys, um, they were navigating all these unique workplace challenges And the word is so good, isn't it, that it it always gets practical for us. It helps us understand how to live life in allegiance to the Lord and to walk with Him. So in these chapters, I hope you're sharpened and encouraged as we think about these things. And this morning, as we jumped into this series, I would love for us to read Daniel chapter 1 responsively. There's a couple reasons why. One is, it's really good to read the word and to just read it to each other, to hear it and what it's saying to us. Um, The great promise of God's word to us is that it will never return empty. It will always accomplish its purposes. So you can be actually a part of preaching the message this morning. When we're going to stand up, I'll say a phrase, then you'll say a phrase. There might be a name or two that you might stumble over. That's okay. Just mumble it or, you know, don't say it. Let somebody else who, you know, knows how to pronounce it. That's fine. But we're going to read the word and just seek God to speak out to us through his word. So I'm going to ask you, in honor of God's word, to stand, if you would, please. Daniel chapter 1. I'll read a phrase, then you'll read a phrase, and we'll go back and forth throughout the chapter, okay? Ready, Katie? Great, fantastic. Okay. This is the word of God to us. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. 
Then the king commanded Ashpenaz, his chief eunuch, to bring some of the people of Israel, both the royal family of the nobility, youths without blemish, of good appearance and skillful in all wisdom, endowed with knowledge, understanding, learning, and competent to stand in the king's palace, and to teach them the literature and language of the Chaldeans. King. Among these were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah of the tribe of Judah. And the chief eunuchs gave them names. Daniel, he called Belteshazzar. Hananiah, he called Shadrach. Mishael, he called Meshach. And Azariah, he called Abednego. But Daniel... And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has assigned your food and your drink. For why should, I, why should he see that you are in worse condition than the youths who are of your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Then... So he listened to them in this matter and tested them for 10 days. And at the end of 10 days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. As... And in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king acquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Hey, good job. It's been a while since you read all that um, scripture right out loud, probably. But it's good for us, a good discipline for us. This scripture, you know, as you think through this wonderful story, some of you are familiar with it. It's not an argument for vegetarianism, um, but it has some really, I think, rich themes for us to understand about how we live out our lives and how we respond to God. And again, every time we're in God's Word together, let me just strongly encourage you to ask a question as you begin. What is this text saying about my Lord? What is the text saying about God and how I relate to Him and how I live my own life out? And Daniel, chapter 1, I think, has a lot to say. And as we begin to consider this word of God to us, there are three statements I want you to consider a little bit more deeply. The first one is this, 
that we are a part of God's good story. We are a part of God's good story. That is, history is his story. And no good thing happens without him. And every good thing that happens, happens because of him. And as we think about what Daniel is going to communicate throughout the book, actually, this theme keeps coming up, that we are part of God's good story. Even if it has horrible turns or seemingly disastrous events, God is still sovereign. He's still in charge. He's still driving the ship. And it is a good direction that he has us going. Second, where God has called you to work is sacred. Where God has called you to work is sacred. Now, perhaps you're at school and you don't see a whole lot of sacred at Irvington High School. Or perhaps you might be working at Facebook and you see all kinds of other things, but you have a hard time seeing the sacred. Or wherever you might be at work, cleaning up after your kids or doing whatever God has called you to this present day to put your hand at at work. But where God has called you to work is sacred, and that's something that Dananiah, Hananiah, Azariah, Mishael would discover and step into for the glory of God. And because they did, God blessed them and enriched them. And the third statement is this, how you live out your faith at work is sacred. How you live out your faith in the midst of all the other things that are happening to you in your place of work, is sacred. That is, it's holy. It is an act of worship. So in the opening verses of Daniel chapter 1, it gives us a brief brief description, historical description of what happens. And it's no surprise, because God had told Israel on multiple occasions that if they chose to disobey him and go their own direction, he would bring judgment. So God brings judgment to Judah, the southern kingdom, through Babylon. The events recorded for us here are happening in 605 B.C., roughly. Babylon would go and invade Judah three separate occasions. The last one where he fully, they fully take over and destroy the land happens in 586. This is the first one where they besiege Jerusalem. And Jerusalem falls to the Babylonians And the Babylonians take some of their key leaders and nobles away. They deport them to Babylon. And among them are these four young men that are taken to be retrained. They're taken from all the people that they love and all the people that all the things they're comfortable with, and they're taken to this foreign land in Babylon. There are parallel accounts for us that speak of what's happening here, this judgment in 2 Kings 24 and 2 Chronicles 36. The capture of Jerusalem and the first uh, deportation of the Jews, it happens as a fulfillment of God's word of judgment. It was a result of Israel's sin. And Israel had forsaken the law and ignored the covenant. And God said, if you are unfaithful, I will bring judgment against you. In particular, there were two major sins that were happening. The first, they had abandoned the Sabbath. And it's interesting to note That when God brings judgment, they had no longer celebrated the Sabbath or sabbatical loss. He does it for 70 years. So they are in Babylon for 70 years learning what God has planned to teach them, that they had violated God's law. But it was much more than a reclaiming of the Sabbath that God was after because Israel had dived headlong into idolatry. 
If you're familiar with the book of Kings, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, and Chronicles, you'll notice that time and again what comes up is God's warning for them because they were diving into false worship, worship of other things. And we've spoken of this. You are familiar, I hope, to know that we are still stuck in idolatry. We worship other things, not carved images most likely, though some of us wrestle with that. But some of us worship material goods. There's a long list of things that we worship, relationships that are not healthy for us, all kinds of things that we can worship. And these people in Israel had abandoned their God and they sought worship of other things. Jeremiah the prophet in particular weeps over this and writes it in two really piercing passages. Jeremiah 7, 24 through 8-3 and Jeremiah 44. And because of their sin, the people of Israel had given themselves over to false gods, and they were carted off to Babylon, which was, in that ancient world, the center of idolatry. It was where the most evil forms of worship were in Babylon. It's also interesting to note that after these 70 years, Israel as a nation did not struggle. I'm talking about between this age and the age where Christ comes. Um, They did not struggle with major idolatry in the same form because they learned the strong lesson that God was teaching them. What becomes obvious in the first lines of Daniel is, and as he continues throughout this theme, is that whatever might occur, we can be confident of this, that we are part of God's story, his good story. And even though these young men had seen their friends and family members die, they had gone through siege. So difficult to describe that if we haven't experienced it, right? But siege is designed to bring people to starvation and to bring a nation to its knees. And that's exactly what happened in this case in Judah. So they had walked through that. They'd seen, no doubt, friends and family members starve to death. And yet they're taken away from all these things into Babylon, and they're going to discover that God has a good story for them. He has a plan to use them redemptively for his honor, for his glory. Babylon, you would think, which was the major world power in this age, in this age of the world, would be the story that we're studying. But the real story being told is that Babylon was used for God's glory. Amazingly enough, that's what Daniel 1-6 through is going to keep repeating to us, that God was in charge of the events of history, and he's going to weave it together to make his name known so that people would come to him. So a king, even Nebuchadnezzar, would come to his knees before God and proclaim his glory. And Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael would be in the midst of that good work. The reality will come to play as Daniel and Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael give their life over to follow God with all their heart, and they step into hard places around them. And that is intended, I think, by Scripture, to be an encouragement to us that when we seek the Lord in the midst of very difficult places, difficult places of work, so their workplace was a place that was full of idolatry and false practices that would do all that it could to force them into places of compromise, much like some of us experience in our places of work. But they committed to be faithful and to live out their faith in creative ways. So whether we're working as a stay-at-home mom or you're working crazy hours at a startup 
or making drinks as a barista or studying your brains out. God puts you in the place where he puts you. And he did it so that you would understand that he has a good work to work through you and in you there. And you may question what you're doing there sometimes, as I'm sure Daniel and his friends did. But God has this good story that he's accomplishing in you. He has a good story that he's accomplishing in Daniel. Chapter 1 doesn't really go into the horrors of the siege, but we just know that those kinds of events, they wreak havoc in a culture. And Daniel and his friends went from being teenagers in a noble family and having everything in front of them to being captive of a hated foreign power. And they were whisked away from their homes and their families and everything they knew. And they were taken to this capital, this foreign invader. And they were enlisted into the King Nebuchadnezzar's service. And at the very beginning of their service, these young men are confronted with a problem of compromise, aren't they? Daniel 1 tells us the story of these four young men trying to hold on to what's most important to them in this hostile world they find themselves. Would they give up who they were and what they valued and the commitments they had made to God in order to fit in? And that's one of the greatest challenges of our places of work, isn't it? Would we give up who we are, who we are called to be as God's followers, and what we are called to value most highly, and the commitments that we have made to God in order to fit in in our places of work? How would these young men respond to this kind of uprooting and this challenge to compromise? And the first test they had was in the matter of food. Now, it might not have seemed so important to you when you read this passage at first, but it was to these four young men. Because this test was an issue of whether they're going to compromise their faith and their allegiance to the Lord God. And we're told in the text that Daniel purposed in his heart not to defile himself. The defiling is defined in Isaiah 42 and 47 and 57 and in Malachi 2. And the problem they faced was twofold. First, the young men, they didn't know, they couldn't know for sure whether this food would meet the Mosaic law. And they had every reason to believe that it didn't. It didn't fulfill what they were supposed to eat. And it wasn't prepared in the way, according to regulations and the requirements of the Mosaic law, and it was including meat that was offered to forbidden animals and to sacrifices which they, which they, in their law, knew that they couldn't partake of. And second, it mattered. It, um, also, they were struggling with this prohibition in the matter of drinking wine, a particular wine that was offered to false gods. So to partake would be to recognize these idols as deities. And I believe the Babylonians knew this. They were testing these men, whether they would stand for their, um, for their faith or not. So the question was, would they break? How does one navigate the challenges when the demands of the workplace tempt us to compromise the living out of our faith in God, even when it might seem to other people that our commitments are unreasonable, that they don't make sense? For these four men, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, it wasn't simply a matter of their diet either because they knew that they were captive and they would come to discover later on that they would live the rest of their lives as exiles in a foreign land. 
They would give the best years of their life to an alien king. They had lost their culture, their cherished relationships, and their home. They would never go home again. And their greatest indignity, you might have caught it, was in the change of their names. So, each of their old names, their Hebrew names, was a derivation of the name of God. Either the little symbol El, as in Daniel, or Mishael, which was from Elohim, or the symbol Yah, name of God, as in Hananiah, Azariah, from Yahweh. Their very names gave evidence of their relationship to the one true God. Their names reminded them that they belonged to God. And that's why Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar gave them new names. It was his way of saying, you serve a new king now. You belong to me, and I define your identity. The name Daniel itself means the Lord will judge. And that's a pretty great name, isn't it? The Lord will be my judge. And throughout his childhood and upbringing, he had a name worth declaring. Every time Daniel heard his name, it was a reminder that God and his justice would be done. His very name had been a promise every time he heard it, every day of his life. And now Daniel was struggling to see the promise fulfilled. In fact, it looked like God's promise for justice had been shattered. It looked like the Lord was not his judge. Maybe you can identify with the struggle that these guys are going through with their identity. It's been said that Babylon is where you find yourself when life does not turn out the way you planned. When your place of work is not what you expected. Maybe it happens when a relationship or a marriage that you had such dreams for ended. And maybe it happens when your greatest vocational hopes die. Maybe it happens when somebody you knew and loved wounds you deeply. Maybe it's when you realize that a deep prayer that you cherished will never be answered the way you want it to. And you find yourself in Babylon, cut off from the life you wanted and planned on. And you may never get home. And worst of all, you wonder if God even knows. How could God let this happen? Has he forgotten his promise? Does he notice? The story of Daniel is, yes, he does. Yes, he does notice. Yes, he is there in the midst of even the worst environment you can find yourself in. Even the worst situations at work, God is in the very thick of. And Daniel and his friends come to a quick conclusion that where God has called us to work is sacred. That they were sacredness in Babylon, in this evil alien king's household, there was a place for them to work. They never planned to end up there, but this is exactly where God had planted them. Of course, Acts chapter 17 says, the place where you live even today is a place where God has called you. So God was in the middle of this, the sovereign God placing them there. And his hand was on their journey and their destination. And now they had some very important choices in front of them. Would they accept what God was doing with them? Would they enter this job training program that God had for them under King Nebuchadnezzar, which they never saw themselves doing? And would they treat that and work at it in such a way that would be an offering of worship so that God would be glorified in their place where they were working. And so the people could see that the way they applied themselves to work was holy. 
would work be their worship. Least Verbal has observed, spiritually resilient people resolve they make a deep decision to honor their deepest values. They refuse to live as passive victims of circumstances beyond their control. They refuse to get tangled up in stuff that would cause them to betray their deepest commitments. And that's exactly what happened to these four young men. They resolved to honor God in a place that was dishonoring God at every turn. And they actually got really creative at doing it, didn't they? They didn't just say, we will never do this and get confrontational about it. They thought, how can we creatively solve this issue? How can we test what they're saying and what they're doing? The writer shows us actually in Daniel that they refuse to become passive victims of their circumstance, but they choose to live out their commitment to God. It's hard to pick up in most translations, but the same verb gets repeated over and over here in the first chapter. A kind of literal rendering of 1-7 would be, the chief of staff determined new names for them. He determined on Belteshazzar for Daniel, and then the other names that he determined. And then in 1-8, but Daniel determined not to defile himself with rich food. It's the same verb repeated over and over, but this time Daniel's the one who is determining the stand he's going to make. And Daniel is making a decision. He resolves in his heart that he would honor God. He would not defile him. And the more Babylon-like our culture becomes, the more we're tempted to allow our frustration and resentment to build and to lash out against it. We can become bitter and critical in our places of work, yet every indication is that Daniel and his three friends They choose actually to respond graciously and creatively and yet hold on to who they are and their values. Their work was sacred, and they had to figure out how do we live out our faith in an environment that does everything to undermine our faith, knowing that God would be faithful to them in the middle of it. The Babylonian and later Persian governments in which they work was hostile to their faith. But it wasn't hostile to their work, was it? And their good work was their currency, the means by which they gained a voice. You'll see this woven out in the next five chapters. Because of their good work, they gained a voice. Because of your faithful, good, diligent work in the work site, you gain a voice to be able to speak out and live out your faith where people will notice. It means something. So Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael were clearly living out this example to be followed. How do we live faithfully in a hostile environment that tries to get us to compromise? They also were discovering this, that how you live out your faith at work is sacred. Not just that God has called you to a place that is sacred for you and you can offer his worship, but how you live out your faith in the place, in your work site. That matters and is sacred, holy to God. God was the one that gave them all their skills and talents, right? God is the one who has given you all your skills and talents in your place of work. Don't ever forget that. Whatever gift that you have, is a gift from the hand of God. And these young men were gifted, and they were clearly gifted and touched by the hand of God for God's glory. And they realized that if they could live out in that gifting and be diligent to their work, 
that God would be honored in it. It's pretty remarkable, isn't it, when you think about what happens in the course of these young men. They're high school age young men who have all this tragedy happen to them. They get taken to a different country, and yet they live out faithfully in such a way, they live out their work in such a way where they get noticed and powerfully noticed. I have a good friend um, who was in my church when I lived in Michigan. His name is Gary. I've told this story before here. And uh, Gary worked for 30-some years at his place of work. It was a shipyard. And um, it was a pretty rough environment that he worked in. And he worked from the ground up. He started, you know, when he was young, and he kept going up the ladder and kept working. And finally, um, a day came for his retirement. I think it was like 35 years at this one company in this shipyard. And it was a pretty profane place to work. And uh, so the day came for his retirement. And they were launching a new vessel. And um, they chose to launch that vessel and dedicate it to Gary. And so they had this big ceremony there at the shipyard. And um, they unveiled this ship. And the name of the ship was Integrity. And when, when they unveiled it and Gary saw it, he just started weeping because he realized all his faithful, hard work, work offered up to God in this difficult environment was noticed. The people noticed that he lived for God and it had integrity. And that's our calling, calling of you and I, men and women, whatever our place of work might be, to live in such a way like Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael did. We're going to hear some stories about the challenge of their workplace to come. This was just the first one, the challenge of giving up and compromising what they ate and how they practiced their faith in front of others. Our reality is that every skill and every talent and every capacity that we have is a gift from God, and it's intended for us to use for His glory in our place of work where people can notice the glory of God as we apply what God has given to us. And Daniel and his friends would soon discover that that approach to life, it pays really great dividends. At the end of the chapter, we find this description. At the end of the time, when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar, and the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Notice Daniel's using their real names there. Therefore, they stood before the king, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and enchanters that were in all his kingdom. They were lifted up because they chose not to compromise, and God stepped in into the middle of that and provided for them. If you're questioning today, whether you should compromise your faith. You need to hear this great example. Whether you're challenged to camp, compromise on the financials at your work site or the production targets of your work site or the, just the way that you actually approach your own work throughout the day. Listen, God is faithful to supply. He will stand with you in the middle of it if you're faithful to him and lift you up. And I believe there's another element for us to glean from this text that 
there is a reason why they were able to pull this off as young men. It's because they did it together. Daniel wasn't by himself. He had three other guys that were standing, friends that were standing with them. They found strength in other believers. These guys, they, they went to college together in a foreign place. They studied together. They prayed together. They faced decisions together. One day they would face the furnace together. And having been tested, they would one day rule together. And their treatment of work was an influence for an entire nation. And when we live in Babylon, we need community for our worship to be done and become all that it can be. We need other people in our place of work that can come alongside of us. And maybe you have no one you know at your place of work right now who follows the Lord. That's why your small group is so significant to you. Other people that can stand with you and come alongside and help you make the right choices. And you can pour out your heart to them and say, what do I do in this crazy work decision? How do I become faithful to the Lord? How do I actually live for him in this environment? And we know that God will appear and that he will be there and he will be faithful to you in the middle of it. And together you as a group can stand faithful to God. The lessons God has for us in this book, I think, are going to really inspire us. Inspire us to be the kind of people that God wants for us to be in our places of work. For us to understand that we are part of God's good story. Regardless of the workplace you would, you find yourself. I'm betting that even though your workplace might not be your first choice, it's not like you were deported to a foreign alien country and thrown into the service of a king who had killed family members and friends. It may, be well, it may well be that it's difficult, but God does have a good plan in the middle of it. And where God has called you to work, it's holy. Whether you're an electrician, right, and you're repairing stuff like Rick, or whether you're doing financials in your place of work, whatever it is, offer that work as an offering to God, as, a, as an act of worship. And how you live out your faith at work is sacred. Because people are watching. They're wanting to know. They're looking at you so that they can see Jesus. Let me pray if I might. Father, I thank you um, for this beginning. Sharpen us. Teach us from your word. Teach us how to be faithful in the midst of all the challenges for us to compromise and not be faithful to you and live out our faith. Lord God, this week, Help our work to be an act of worship to you, to be pleased with it. And I pray that would give us a voice, an opportunity for us to share our faith with others. In Christ's name and for his glory we pray, amen. Thank you for listening to the Bridges Community Church Sermon Podcast. Bridges Community Church is located in the San Francisco Bay Area in Fremont, California. To know more about Bridges Community Church, please go to our website at bridgescc.org.